I'm Brian Scordato, and this is the Idea to Start a Podcast brought to you by Tacklebox. We accelerate ideas into real companies through the Tacklebox membership, and we think through startup strategy every Wednesday on the Idea to Start Up Podcast. You're here because you're thinking about an idea, or you're ready to launch something, or you already launched something and you're running full steam ahead. We're here to help with the counterintuitive stuff. On to it. Today, we're going to kick off a series of episodes testing out an idea I am excited about in real time. Excited actually isn't the word. That's part of it, but there's something else here too. We're going to test out an idea I am emotionally invested in. I test out lots of ideas on the side to make sure the tackle box method is humming. I pick industries I'd like to learn a bit more about, and I search for a high-level problem, and then I go through our product. Lots of these make it to the pod, mostly when I'm proud of a punny name I came up with. I investigate ideas like an extended doggy daycare called Indiana Bones and a community for amateur paleontologists in the Midwest called, also, Indiana Bones. I'm always curious about these ideas, but my emotional investment is in the process, in tackle box, not in the idea itself, which makes it really easy to look objectively at 10 interviews with amateur paleontologists and say, there's nothing left here to dig in on, then laugh quietly to myself and move on. But when your emotional investment is in the idea or the customer or the idea of you starting that business, the process gets exponentially tougher. Humans are irrational and emotional, and building a system to keep that in check while you test out ideas like an objective scientist is tough. The second you have a rooting interest in the outcome of an experiment, it's not an experiment anymore because you'll look at the results through go-after-this-anyway colored glasses. This makes the next few episodes even more fun and hopefully even more useful because I'm going to test out an idea that I give a crap about. I've been thinking about this idea for over two years. I've been subconsciously preparing to start it for years before that. When I used it as an offhand example in the pod a few weeks back, I got emails from people saying they wish the business existed because they desperately needed it and my pulse got a little quicker. When I rooted around a bit and found a few somewhat competitive companies with solid messaging and a compelling customer persona, my heart had that familiar dropping feeling like I was on the dragon coaster at Rye Playland, the one that comes when you're invested in something. I was happy people were working on the business for sure, but I was secretly upset it wasn't me. I was feeling the irrational highs and lows and loss aversion and all the good emotional side dishes that come with a startup idea that you'd give up a bunch of stuff to start. Which is freaking perfect, because that is probably how you feel about your idea. You likely aren't just messing around to learn the process. You're here to start a business you really, really want to work. Over these next few episodes, and I'm not totally sure how many there are going to be, we're going to chase down an idea live. Hopefully, it'll be useful if you're at the early stages. But also, this might be really useful if you've already dug yourself a bit of a hole. If you rushed ahead on an idea and something feels broken, maybe you've got a product and people aren't excited about it, or maybe you're trying to get emails from a social ad plus a landing page and no one is interested in what you're offering. Sometimes getting back to first principles is exactly what you need. Enough foreplay. Let's get to the idea. It is around chronic pain. As you might remember from other episodes, I've dealt with chronic pain for years, stemming from a basketball injury in 2017 when some freaking nincompoop clotheslined me in a corporate league. The injury was a severe concussion and grade 3 whiplash. Doctors described it as similar to what happens when you get in a T-bone car accident at high speed. 
I went through roughly 12 months of lying on a couch or a bed for 18 hours a day, followed by another 12 months of trying stuff to help with the pain. Dozens of doctors, the top head and neck and back specialists, and world-renowned neurologists. I tried physical therapy, nerve-blocking injections, painkillers, and multiple doctors even recommended surgery, but when I asked what I was going to get the surgery on, they said, not sure, we're going to get in there and see, which doesn't inspire confidence. But the worst of all was that most doctors just gave me some version of, quote, y'all probably just have to learn to live with this and push me out the door. This led to non-traditional medicine, bodywork, chiropractors, acupuncture, craniosacral therapy, diet changes, transcendental meditation, screen time changes, and finally, one day while sitting on the couch, my wife, who was then my girlfriend, stumbled across a blog called The Invisible Injury. Hey, she said from across the room. There's a woman who played hockey at Yale who wrote a blog post on post-concussion syndrome, and she sounds exactly like you. A few blogs later, we saw that after going through a similar journey that I had, she'd found a clinic in Canada that specialized in PCS, and it had helped her dramatically. I was on the phone with the clinic the next day. A few weeks later, I was in a suburb of Toronto called Guelph on the second floor of a strip mall, slightly worried that I'd been scammed. But then I met with a heroic man named Terry who dedicated his life to helping people with chronic pain stemming from concussions, and everything changed. He knew exactly what to do. His advice was the polar opposite of nearly everything I'd done the previous three years, and after two weeks of six to eight hour treatment days, the headache I'd had nonstop for three years was gone. It came back. Chronic pain is a finicky mistress, but the breakthrough led to a few more, which led to my current modest treatment plan of a monthly chiropractor visit, a weekly trainer who takes me through eye and body movement exercises over Zoom, and a daily foundation training routine that takes 15 minutes and costs 15 bucks a month through an online program. And I feel great. The chronic pain is 99% gone. I hold the little guy with zero issue except for when he kicks me in the groin like he did this morning, and I'm signed up for three marathons and a sprint triathlon this summer. But all in, it took about five years, over $100,000, some covered by insurance, a lot not, and my wife and I refusing to listen to all the doctors that said, y'all just have to learn to live with this thing. I tell you that long, winding story because it's critical to understand how hairy the problem you and I are going to try to solve is. Somewhere between 18 and 35% of Americans suffer from daily chronic pain. A lot of it is back and neck. Another big chunk is arthritis. Cleveland Clinic's explanation as to why chronic pain isn't treated more effectively is, quote, many people with chronic pain don't know its cause and can't find a cure. And I get it. The experts I've spoken to over the years describe all the variables that need to be unwound to effectively treat the pain. The injury itself, the musculoskeletal damage, the nerve damage, the emotional damage, and the PTSD from years of pain. And when I see that the most common recommendations for people with chronic pain is to meditate, reduce stress, and join a chronic pain support group so that you can deal with this for the long term, I get that too. It's a hard problem to crack, and most people just aren't trying. But... Also, and I apologize for the language, and if you got kids in the car, throw some earmuffs on them. Fuck that. We've got to be able to do better than that. Take some pain meds and join a support group? Come on. Living with chronic pain is terrible. So, we're going to try. After, a little smooth jazz. If you've got a startup idea and a full-time job and want to test out the former before you leave the latter, come and work with us. Apply at GetTackleBox.com. Over 400 startups have tested and built ideas through our program, and those businesses are now collectively worth over a billion dollars. 
Our program helps you prioritize and execute, and our members and me and the team keep you accountable and give you feedback along the way. Come build with us at GetTackleBox.com. Back to it. Why This Won't Work Part 1. Build for People Drinking Ice Coffee. Woo, we got a little pumped up there before the jazz, didn't we? That's a good thing. I'm a little hot under the collar for this idea, as I am sure you are about yours too. But the best way to start working on something, especially when you're excited, is to call out the reason it'll fail. As Charlie Munger says, it is way easier to avoid stupidity than to seek brilliance. So I'll start working on this idea by calling out the likely reason it's going to fail and building systems to avoid that. Although in reality, there are two reasons. These two reasons are responsible for 99% of the failed businesses we've worked with at Tacklebox, and we're going to go after each today. The first has to do with your customer. The second has to do with you. We'll start with the customer mistake because it's straightforward. Tricky, but straightforward. Customers can stay irrational much longer than you can stay solvent, which is a slightly fancy way of saying, even if you build something for people that'll solve their problems, most people aren't going to care. Think about what you did today. It's probably pretty similar to what you did yesterday and a week ago and six years ago. Think about something that bothered you today. It probably bothered you a week ago and a month ago and a year ago. Nearly everyone acts this way about nearly everything. There are very few problems people are actually going to try and solve. Customers can stay irrational longer than you can stay solvent. There's a story I tell our founders over and over about iced coffee, and I've probably told it a few times on the pod too. I'll tell it again. It's that important. You can't get someone to leave their apartment to go try iced coffee. You can, however, convince them to try your iced coffee if they've already left their house and are walking into town to get someone else's. If your customer is already out looking for an iced coffee, you've got a shot. If you've got to convince them to buy one, or even if they like the idea of iced coffee but have never tried one, keep on moving. This doesn't mean you're never going to get them to try iced coffee. People will change eventually. Your least technical uncle has an iPhone and you Zoomed with him during the pandemic. But they'll only change after they've seen dozens and dozens of people they're close to be successful. And they'll only do that once your product is mature and cheap. They're awful first customers, and we want no part of them. So most startups fail because they try to help people that don't want any help, which means our first order of business to make sure we avoid failure is identifying all the people who will screw us up and making sure we stay the hell away from them. Your job is to find people looking for coffee, which means you'll likely first run into a whole bunch of people who aren't, and you'll have to actively not build anything for them, even though they're going to say they've got a problem and you're going to be pumped about that. Here is what I'm doing for the chronic pain idea, which I promise I'll think of a punny name for soon. I'm going to use Notion as a project manager for this startup. And at the top of the cover page, which holds the most important information about the business, is this question and answer. How can I guarantee this business is going to fail? That is the question. The answer? By focusing on people who have chronic pain but haven't tried anything new to change their circumstances in the past three months. If you're working on a business, I'd suggest doing the same. This seems simple, but it has serious implications for the next stage of the business. I'm going to talk to lots and lots of people with chronic pain. But now, anytime I speak with someone who isn't actively and aggressively trying to find something new to help, I'm going to severely discount anything they say. I cannot bet my business on the fact that they'll suddenly change their behavior just because I make something. They're not going to. It's just going to screw me. The first stage of the business is searching for people actively trying to change and learning everything about those people. 
And when I meet someone who says, I haven't tried anything in years, but I think I would try this, I need to ignore that false positive, no matter how excited I get about potentially being able to help someone. They aren't going to be the first customer. Life is about momentum. Either someone has momentum towards solving a problem, or they don't. You can probably push a 100-pound tire if it's already rolling, but if it's standing still, Build for people's past actions, and you might build a business. Build for people's future intentions, and I guarantee you won't. People already drinking iced coffee are bust. Why this won't work, part two. Two tactics and a goldfish. The other reason an idea won't work is you don't build a system to give it a fair shake. Meaning, you don't give this thing the time it deserves, and you don't do the internal work necessary to figure out how to lean into your strengths and build systems for your weaknesses. And since this pod is about me testing out a business, not you, I can't just shame you for your theoretical lack of a system. I've got to build one that makes sure I give this idea a fair shake on my end. Now, if you listen to the pod, you know I love a good system. Linguini, my co-pilot tied together by Zapier, runs a good chunk of my business. But for this startup idea, we're going to start from scratch in case you haven't gotten something working already. And we're going to start simple. Only two parts of the system today that we'll keep building as the weeks go on. It doesn't make sense to build something hard-coded before we know exactly what we're doing. The system has an overarching theme and two tactics that I want to go through today. We'll start with the theme, thrust and drag. A few weeks back, we had a podcast on thrust and drag. I'll put it in the show notes. The big takeaway was that everything in life depends on momentum, on continuous forward movement, and that most people don't understand how to design for that. People assume that the way to create momentum is to add things, to focus on the thrust. Usually, though, the best way to create momentum is the opposite, to reduce drag, to remove things. But either way, you won't get anywhere if you don't painstakingly plan and orchestrate thrust and drag to create momentum for whatever you're doing. The first tactic that falls under thrust and drag is the goldfish cleanse. When you start working on a startup idea seriously, or really take on anything new in your life, the first thing you should do is make room for it. We are all goldfish. We've grown to the size of our bowls, thus the name of the cleanse. You haven't got any bandwidth, and saying you're going to wake up an hour earlier each day is not going to be sustainable. The business won't work if you don't design your life to support it properly to work on the thing while you're well-rested, when you aren't stressed, when you're happy to over-interview and over-edit cold emails, to over-invest in the early stuff. You need space for that, mental and on your calendar. So step one is the swap, to drop one thing or a few things and to replace them with your startup. This will probably be hard. For me, it was. I've been working on a book. It's taking a lot of mental and calendar space, but I'm really excited about it. However, I've decided pursuing this startup idea takes precedence. So I'm not working on the book anymore, at least for a while. I have been doing that for about an hour or so a day. I've swapped that out with the chronic pain idea. That is the hard drag removal. The easier one is system driven. Look at the things you do that you don't want to do anymore and build a system to stop doing them. I'm pretty rigid on my internet and phone usage, but I've still got probably an extra hour a day to trim. So I downloaded an app called Freedom and built stricter lanes around when I can go on certain sites and use certain apps and even respond to non-critical text messages and emails. It is a great tool. And once the system was built, which took maybe 45 minutes, all this is out of my hands. Anything not additive is blocked. 
That will free an hour a day in the margins, which I'll start filling with five-minute tasks for the idea, which we'll go over in a later episode. Your startup process will be an ebb and flow between uncomfortable stuff and exciting stuff, between lots of feedback and none. The early days are peaks and valleys, and the system makes your default state progress. The system makes sure you do the things you're supposed to do and avoid temptation. The second piece of the system that we're going to implement today is a weird one. I call it Journal of a Startup. One of my favorite books of all time is called Journal of a Novel by John Steinbeck. It's a journal he kept that took the form of a daily or multiple times a day letter to his editor. At the time, he was writing the book East of Eden, widely known as one of the great American novels. The journal was him venting each day. It was him talking through why he made certain decisions, talking about the traps he fell into and making sure he stayed on top of them, talking through character development and themes he should keep or drop. He was pushing himself to make bolder decisions while at the same time trying to take the pressure off himself so that he could write freely. He was reminding himself why he was writing this book in the first place. It was never meant to be published, but it's an incredible account. Ever since I read it maybe five years ago, I've done something similar whenever I start taking on a new scary project. I make a journal of that thing, a daily letter to someone about why I'm making certain decisions. Sometimes I'll use prompts to get the ball rolling. Things like, what would I do if I were 15% more assertive? Or how would a great CEO handle this decision? Or how do I know if this customer I'm building for is actually out for a nice coffee? But usually, sitting down with 30 minutes and a blank page is all I need for my subconscious to spill out onto the page. The best work I've done has come directly from these sessions. Start your journal of a startup and write in it every day. If this sounds like a lot of work that isn't the work, respectfully, you're wrong as a doornail. My dad said that the other day, and I loved it. It makes absolutely no sense, but it still makes all the sense in the world. People mess up on their startups because they don't work on the right stuff. It's like the story of the person who got on the wrong bus. It was raining outside, and they just made the bus, and there was an open seat in the back, and they had a warm coffee, and a great song was playing, but then they noticed they were on the wrong bus. The journal helps you notice when you're on the wrong bus. So, as I start up the chronic pain idea, I'll start tuning my thrust and drag system and kick off my journal of a chronic pain startup. And what? exactly I'll do is what we'll end with today. Test an opinion. People start businesses because they think they've got an opinion that's worth something to someone. My opinion is, broadly, that the path to recovering from chronic pain is convoluted and terrible. The only people who make it through to the other side have the capacity to go to dozens of doctors and try dozens of treatments, the flexibility to squeeze that into their life, and the means to pay for it all. That is a tiny subset of people in pain, which is why the number of people who suffer is so high. My belief is that I can do better. The first thing I want to do is toss my opinion into the real world and see how it holds up. I want to talk with tons of people suffering from chronic pain. I want to hear their stories, the progression from day one to the pain through today. I want to start building a map of types of pain and types of people and types of therapy so I can start to narrow this down. I want their stories to fill in the gaps. Lots of people know they need a tight customer, so they try to start with a tight customer. But to get to that first customer, you need context. You need to speak with as many people as you can. The top of the funnel should be preposterously wide. You should not be precious with who you speak with to start. You'll winnow it down as you go. So before the next episode, I'm going to do three things. 
First, I'm going to reach out to that clinic in Toronto to see if they'll send an email to some of their patients asking if any are interested in chatting with me. Second, I'll email 50 friends and family, BCC'd, asking if any have chronic pain and would like to talk about it. And third, I'm going to ask you all, is anyone out there dealing with chronic pain? Shoot me an email at team at gettacklebox.com. That is step one. We'll build from there. I'll probably dig in a bit on the emails themselves and the process to manage scheduling and all that briefly next week, as well as the questions to ask and what I've heard so far. Email me at team at if you want some more insight into any of this. The boulder isn't moving. I need to push on it to get momentum. Reaching out to these channels should start it. But Brian. Before we close up shop, I'll end with a little segment called But Brian. But Brian, can you even build something that'll help people? But Brian, you're not a doctor. Shouldn't you have a doctor on the team? But Brian, what about all the competitors? There are probably 20 more bouncing through your head. Each of these will come into play eventually, but the first step is hearing about the problem from real people who have it. Making any of these decisions before you've decided on a customer and the problem we're solving makes no sense. We'll get there, but not yet. Those aren't blockers till they're blockers. Learn about the problem and the customer first. The end. I am excited to jump into this. I'm passionate as hell about the idea. I'm scrolling through papers on CBT at 2am as I rock the little guy. I'm researching startups that have tried and failed and doctors that focus on helping the trickiest forms of chronic pain. I'm at the top of the funnel and the view is beautiful. We'll dig in more on this, the process, the problem, the results over the next few episodes. We'll see where it goes and I'll let you know as we do. Have a great week. This was the Idea to Startup podcast brought to you by Tacklebox. If you got a startup idea and a full-time job, head to gettacklebox.com and apply to flesh it out with us.